Welcome to the I Also Want Money podcast, where our mission is to democratize, demystify, and demasculinize making money. I'm your host, Nicole Kyle, and I'm here with my co-host, Sophie Holm, and ally, Harrison Comfort. So one of the things we've learned and observed about ourselves and our friends uh, is that a big barrier to investing isn't as much the knowledge of how to, like certainly while that plays a role, it's also our fears, our past associations with money, maybe our past failures or missteps that make us feel like investing, wealth management, saving even is a step we can't take. In the interest of taking this limiting belief and throwing it out the window, Tonight, we are leaning into our shame. We're going to normalize talking about money by running through some of our own money, wealth, mistakes, and or missteps. Um, There's this thought in therapy that in order to deal or overcome something, you have to name it. And so that's what we're going to try and do today. Uh, We have a bottle of wine and we've invited one of our dear friends, Sam, for a very open and cathartic discussion because we believe the first step to getting comfortable with money is talking about those thoughts, feelings, associations that hold you back. So with that, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just want to like kick this off with this statement that I've made a lot of mistakes in the past with money. And even if they're not mistakes, they're also maybe just places where maybe I didn't do as much as I should have. And I think that feeds this insecurity I have about money, about investing. It's almost as if because I've never started or because I haven't been, you know, building um, a nest egg for the past four years, I feel like I can't start. It's too late. And quite frankly, it's a little bit of an insecurity for me. So Sophie, Sam, like when you think about your relationship with money and investing, how would you characterize it? Complicated. Facebook status is complicated. It's complicated. So I don't, I should have started a long time ago. Um, I I started when I was 28 and that, 29, oh my God. And you are 29 now. I'm 29 now. I started six months ago. I had definitely saved some money. I'd saved my last bonus um, that I got. I had started realizing I probably shouldn't be spending as much as I did. And then I I started saving a little bit. And then uh, Harrison and I started this whole wealth journey. And we were in Denmark meeting a very, very senior guy from the finance industry, retired and now just kind of consultant and advisor. And he just looked at me and he said, I think you are probably a unique case. Women don't care about investing and women don't care about money. And sure. I had never had a panic attack before, yeah. but I actually had my first panic attack. We walked around Copenhagen, just like my chest was pounding. I was crying. I was just feeling all of these emotions. And after two hours of that, I was like, Harrison, I want to start investing right now. Mm-hmm. We sat down at a cafe. We opened up a Vanguard account. I created my ISA, and that's when that's when I started my journey. There was this like inciting incident. There was this like massive wake up call, yeah. and just somebody being so in my face about how women don't care about these topics, and it just insulted me so deeply to my core. Yeah, and I was also a little scared that it was actually true. 
because I was 29 and I hadn't done any investing. Yeah. Which then I think maybe prompts like a reflection on, I want to prove this guy wrong. So exactly. I'm going to start. And then it also prompts this reflection on, hey, if it is even a little bit true, there's factors outside of your control that make it true. Like the messages we're sent in society, um, the fact that like wealth doesn't look like a place for us. I, but I don't think yeah. I'd realized that yet. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, cool. So Sam, how would you characterize your relationship with money? My relationship to money, particularly in the sort of younger days, is, has been definitely more around treat yourself versus save for yourself, which I am definitely not advocating for. However, I would say I have had quite a lot of fun in my youth um, <laughs> and, you know, the memories and stuff that has to count for something. But yeah, but in terms of like putting away a nest egg, saving up a buffer, that is something that I don't have yet. And with everything that's happening now, you know, like potential redundancies and um, sort of economy sort of basically tanking, now is the time where you start to think, oh, shit, <laughs> maybe I should have put away some money. I think the the point around, you know, wanting to treat ourselves and uh, maybe like looking the other way when it comes to savings for a number of years, like that really uh, resonates with me because I think um, like as far as my relationship with money, uh, there, once I got a job and was kind of totally on my own post-college, um, there was this feeling of like, I, I get so much value out of the things I spend my mon money on. I don't mind if there's like an opportunity cost to saving. And it was definitely the wrong way to think about things. Um, but in some ways, like, I think the economics classes I had worked against me because they gave me this new way of thinking about like utility. So sometimes I would rationalize purchases like a trip or whatever, music festivals, like, um, oh, I'm getting so much utility out of this. Who cares mm. if I'm spending tickets, on, you know, money on, on these tickets and not like putting it into a pension or something. Um, uh, and, and that's how I would rationalize it. So that resonates with me. Um, the other thing I'd say about my relationship with money is money just gives me a lot of anxiety. Like it always has, like it, it was the cause and root of a lot of anxiety in my family growing up. It was a root of anxiety for me in college. And even when now it's my own money and I have more of my own money, um, it's still anxiety provoking. And I honestly think because I have such, there's such a close tie between anxiety and money for me, that's been a real reason why I haven't dove in and, you know, started investing, thinking about being more strategic with my spending, with my saving, um, with my pension, what, what have you. But you have started a little bit, right, Nicole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've started. Um, well, it's like, it's a whole long story, but um, I've always had, like, I've, I'm a risk averse person because of that anxiety and the anxiety about not having money. I'd rather have it and not have it grow than risk losing it. Um, so when I got my first job out of college, you know, yeah, I enrolled into the 401k, but it was at the minimum contribution amount. And it was basically just sitting in a money market, which basically just means it's just cash. Um, and then with, with the confidence I built now, like after um, you know, working on this project and talking to more women and men about um, the the markets and the options, like I'm taking steps. And I find that like the first step is the hardest. Um, and, and with each step, the anxiety becomes a little bit less. Um, though, of course, like we also have to acknowledge, while I'm not speaking from a position of great wealth, I am speaking from a position of like, I have a salary, a reliable income and all that. So um, for those who don't have that, like it's it's obviously much harder. Um, so Sam, just thinking about like 
your relationship with money. And I love how you described it as love, love, hate. We love to spend it. We love to have it. We hate when we don't have it. And we hate when we have to put it away, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, how have it all, um, has that like contributed to any like insecurities you have about either money or insecurities around investing? Yeah, I, to be honest, I actually think it stems from like a really younger age. I was a bit of a spoiled brat when I was younger up until like the point that I wasn't. And then it was almost kind of like, right, you're like 21, 22, whatever age it was. You're like an adult now. Go pay for your own stuff. And I was just kind of like, what? (laughs) But how? You know, I'm not one of those people that would be like, right, I have a budget for the month. And then if I'm kind of out of budget, but I do still have money left. And if someone was like, oh, do you want to go for dinner? Do you want to go out um, or like go to the theatre, go see this band or whatever? I think, you know, I don't have, I don't really have a family. I don't really have obligations. You know, I don't have a mortgage to pay yet. So I'm like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Um, but now, you know, I have been a little bit more strict with myself. And I have one of those sort of helped by Isa's, which is actually really good because as soon as you put the money in, you physically can't get the money back out. It's a huge, long process. So, you know, I have that. I, I've paid down a lot of debt um, over the last couple of years and stuff. So I'm getting a bit better, but it all kind of stems back to, you know, I don't really have many obligations right now. I'm just going to treat myself. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to actually change that mindset. And then like coupled with the fact that you were just never really taught it growing up. Not that that's an excuse, but it's never really been ingrained like from an early age of like save, get a house, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, and I think that's kind of all amalgamated into the spectacular mess that I am today with money. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would do the same, right? Like I would put money aside, pretend that I was going to save it. And then end of month when I was like running low and I wanted to do things, I would just move it back. Like, cause unfortunately it was just a savings account. You could move money back yeah. and forth so easily. So I would just move the money back and be like, oh, they never went there in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're not taught personal finance in the u.s like in in high school in denmark yeah but it's a balance i mean sam i'm sure you know you would say that too you still want to have some fun yeah oh yeah completely like i'm and i think this is probably the wrong posture to take but i am very much of the fact that like why would you just save all your money and be miserable every day counting like every single penny and depriving yourself of like any type of joy just so you can say you have money at the end of the day like if you were you know to get run over by a bus tomorrow can't take the money with you so I think yeah there's definitely like a balance we had I do recognize that is the wrong posture to take but I do still think there's yeah there should be a balance you shouldn't you shouldn't be worrying so much your whole life it's it's fun (laughs) it's not great yeah (laughs) I mean, it's wrong when you're like maxing out credit cards or like taking up Klarna, which I've never mm-hmm. actually used before. Can we talk but... about credit cards and Klarna real quick? <laughs> so I don't even know what Klarna is. I don't know if that's well, a symptom of let us enlighten it's, you. Yeah, I'm going to let Sam enlighten thing. you in a minute about Klarna comparison. Um, no, I mean, I think like, and we'll talk about debt in future episodes, but it's such a slippery slope. Like when I think when I graduated from college and, you know, like that was basically it. I didn't really have much like parental support coming out of that. I had a job lined up. I had my signing bonus, like whatever. I've been able to like meager savings from undergrad. 
I was looking at a lot of student loan debt and I was looking at a big move from, mm. um, you know, my parents to DC and like that move had to be funded. My bank at the time, like approached me with this, you know, no interest credit card for the first year. And I was like, sure. And, you know, you think you're going to be responsible and, you know, it's not as if I'm like in two crazy amounts of credit card debt now, but like, I still have credit card debt because of that credit card. Um, and, you know, couple, couple that with student loans, like there's, I guess my point is, it seems like there's so many engines that are readily available to put you in a debt position and very few engines that are readily available to put you in a wealth position <laughs> that it feels like the, the cards are system makes money. It, yeah, exactly. It, it just feels like the cards are stacked against you if you're not um, enlightened to see some of these things. But Sam, I'm not sure if you have any perspectives on like credit cards or Klarna. <laughs> um, well, yes, Nicole, I do. So I... <laughs> I'm not sure, even though we've talked about it over wine a million times. <laughs> no, go on. <laughs> a lot of credit cards. Um, yeah, so I remember my first credit card when I think I was in the like, first year uni. And you know, I don't know what it was like in the US, but in sort of UK, particularly in Scotland, you don't actually pay for your first four years of uni. You get that free um, from the government, which is great. So in my very first year of uni, I wasn't paying for like to, to attend school and then you get all this money sort of like chucked at you and then like you don't have to worry about paying for your room or like your food and stuff like that because that's all taken care of and then they like chuck yeah like money at you basically that then goes into like your student debt pot I was having lots of money come in and it was great I remember being at the bank and I think it was like depositing a check or something and the girl was like oh you know you qualify for our student credit card and at that point I was like oh you know I don't think I could be trusted with a credit card I remember she she was like yeah we'll put the credit limit really low it's only 500 pounds um it'll be really good to build your credit and I was like okay great and you know to my credit for the first few months maybe like the first six months I actually anytime I used the credit card I would pay off straight away because I was really scared about racking up debt I remember really clearly one time at uni, my GHDs broke. And this is going to make me sound really ridiculous, but it's true. My GHDs broke. GHDs uh, for the non-indoctrinated. Oh, sorry. GHD straighteners. Um, <laughs> hair straighteners, they broke. Um, but yeah, my, my straighteners broke. And I was like, oh, crap, I, I need straighteners. So I was like, you know what? I, I don't really have the money to pay back. So I'm just going to use my credit card. And then when the bill came at the end of the month, I noticed that you could pay like a minimum payment rather than pay the full thing. And that was life changing for me. And ever since then, I really got used to just sort of buying whatever and then not paying it all back all at once which and it got like to ridiculous levels you know that 500 pound limit um after a few years they'd given me like a 10 grand limit on a credit card for like a very young person which is just insane um so yeah I did I racked up quite a lot of debt when I was younger um I, I've basically paid it off now I'd say I have like the normal amount of debt you know stuff a credit card that I pay each month but it's not anything that would be like oh god kill me now but yeah I think it's a really really slippery slope if I could kind of go back to that moment um and be like pay off your credit card every month and if someone had really like stressed to you the, the importance of doing that I think I wouldn't have ended up where I was but you know life takes over and you can't you can't go back and change it but yeah that's that's my experience with credit cards 
Yeah, I mean, I in in college, I racked up my credit card every month. I maxed it. What's your biggest horror story, Sam? I'd say one of the biggest sort of like mistakes that I probably made or sort of horror stories actually stems from someone giving really good advice. So when I was at uni, we, um, I was sort of studying law and part of like the law society, not requirements, but you were kind of forced to go to all these extracurriculars and sort of listen to the like, lawyers talk about how they interact with their clients and the advice that they give. And I was at a financial um, services event one night and I remember really clearly the guy speaking saying you know there's there's a zero percent interest rates for credit cards so if you have debt you know my advice is sort of move over onto a zero percent interest credit rate and then you know you're not paying back anything more than you have to and it makes it more manageable and you know all that fun stuff that comes with it and I remember being like oh yeah I have my student credit card that I am paying interest on now I'm going to go back and do that. And I did, which was all fine to begin with, but they, of course, give you a higher limit and then, like, I would spend that limit. So it, it, for one <laughs> for one point in my life, I, it was literally, like, ping-pong sort of interest rate cards to new interest rate cards to new interest rate cards. And that's how I ended up with a, literally a credit card that had, like, eight or £9,000 limit on it. And, like, thankfully, I didn't spend all the way up to the max of that but I could and it was just like ludicrous the amount of deals that people fling at you and you know it, once you're sort of in that sort of cycle of um sort of like bad money management maybe and you know the banks are making money off of you they fling more deals at you and then when you try and cancel your credit cards or, or whatever I don't know about your experiences with this but um Barclays if anyone banks with them I tried to cancel a credit card with them and then they sort of passed me on to like this other team and they're like oh you've been with us for so many years what would it take for you to stay and I was like nothing I just want to cancel my credit card please and they're like well we could give you um two years interest free and double your credit limit would that work <laughs> I remember just being like yeah that would work thank you it took quite a few years of just being a financial mess for someone to be like you need to get your shit together and then I did I I feel very similarly to you Sam um one of the things like I'll look into my friend network which is like both guys and gals obviously and like some of my friends you know they've been able to make money through investing they have like you know significant emergency funds and sometimes I feel like what do they know that I don't like, what am I lacking? Um, and uh, is there anything specific that, I don't know, Sophie or Sam, you guys feel like, I feel like everyone knows this, but I don't? Uh, no. Okay. So I, I felt the same way. Yeah. But I think one of the key things I've learned from Harrison is not picking stocks specifically, because that's such a gamble, but picking some funds or some ETFs that are, you know, historically just proving good returns, a steady returns over the years, even in, you know, the financial crisis in, in, in CRA, um, and also crisis now, you know, leaving that money for 10 years in that fund, it's, it's going to go up again. Um, if you believe in, in capitalism, and if you believe in some of the world's largest companies like Microsoft and Amazon and, and the rest, they aren't just going to disappear from one day to the other. So I think one of the biggest things I've learned that I didn't know before, but it's not rocket science, is just what are some of the good funds? What are some of the good ETFs that you should be putting your money in that are fairly, they are low risk from a long-term horizon perspective and maybe a little bit more risky from a short-term horizon perspective. And I agree with you. I think it it makes me realize though, like 
our generation, we came of age in 2008. Like we were just on the cusp of um, adulthood in the financial crisis. Um, And that's when like some of the world's biggest companies did go under. So I do wonder if as irrational as it is, our fear rooted in that experience is translating into our like investor profiles. It's interesting, right? Like, Sam, it sounds like you're very aware of like your financial position right now. Like, you know, you're in savings mode, you know, you have low risk tolerance. And I think even a win coming out of this conversation with just being like open to some of these other options. Sam, as part of this podcast, we try to encourage our listeners to ask for more and really internalize this idea that they're um, that there's more to get out of life from a financial position than maybe you're getting today. So um, we we ask all of our guests to come up with a hashtag I also statement to communicate to our listeners. Um, so thinking about your relationship with money, relationship with investing in the past and, and moving forward, is there an I also statement you're trying to embrace? Um, I also love treating myself, but from a bargain mindset now. So like, don't don't splurge big. Love a bargain. Still treat yourself, but definitely keep saving for that house. <laughs> Just a quick story for anyone listening to this podcast. Uh, Sam and I were friends, but we, we met at work and we sit next to each other um, at work. And Sam is known as the woman with all the packages because oh, really? she does a lot of online shopping. So much so that our facilities team they lock everyone out of the mailroom. So to get a package, you can't scan your badge and go in. You have to go and get it from a facilities person, except for Sam. Sam (gasps) has been given a badge that allows her to swipe into the mailroom because she orders that much stuff online. Sorry, Sam. I just think that's a charming example of of who you are. (laughs) Yeah, no, what can I say? I, I do. I just love, I love a bargain. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, join us in the I Also Movement. This means take to your social platforms and post a hashtag I also statement. Follow us on Instagram at I also podcast. And of course, subscribe. This podcast is produced by Harrison Comfort and the theme tune is by Malin Linnea.